We started talking last night about the temptations of Jesus. You know, here's a little plug for this uh, study Bible, but I've been studying through this the last uh, four months or something. And, you know, there are some things that you can get only by looking at the chronological arrangements of things. For instance, we're going to be talking about the temptation of Jesus and showing you how he overcame the temptation and stuff. This is recorded in Matthew and in Luke's account. And then Mark mentions it just in one or two verses. But you have to put all of these things together to get a full impact of what's happening and see the context of how the uh, temptation fit in with other things. And so anyway, that's one of the things. This Bible is arranged chronologically. Instead of going through Matthew and then back through Mark, Luke, and John, you go through the New Testament in the order of events. And like here is the temptation of Jesus, and it's recorded in all of these places. You've got it right here on one page so that you can look at this, and it makes a big difference. So anyway, we're going to be talking about the temptation of Jesus. Last night I talked about that you have to prepare yourself in advance for temptation. And most people miss right there. According to 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Chronicles 12, 14, Rehoboam did evil because he prepared not his heart. And that's the reason most of us do evil is because our heart's not prepared in advance for the test that Satan brings our way. So we talked about that. Another point I want to make this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That scripture says that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. It didn't say that just somebody else has had it. Every once in a while somebody enters into it. There is just common temptation. And one of the mistakes that I encounter when I deal with people a lot is people are trying to convince me that my situation's unique. Nobody's ever had this problem. I talked to a person last night that was trying to tell me nobody's ever been in the situation I'm in. And that's just wrong. It totally violates Scripture. There is nothing that you are going through that millions and millions of other people haven't been tempted with. And if you buy into Satan's lie that your situation is unique, then it exempts you from all of the answers that everybody else has got. You'll hear other people talk about how they overcame their poverty, how they overcame their depression, how they overcame their sickness, how they overcame their marital problems. But you in your mind are just saying, well, mine's different. That won't work for me. That's a lie and it's a deception of the devil to make you separated. It's like a sheep. He gets you over here separated from the flock and that makes you easy prey. You do not have a unique situation. And I'm going to expound on some of those things as we talk about Jesus. But let me take this passage of scripture out of Hebrews chapter 4. And start with this here this morning. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now that is a powerful verse. It says that Jesus knows what you're going through. Because He was tempted in all points. That means every single way that you were tempted, Jesus was tempted. And again, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's not so. Jesus didn't know the pressures of modern life. He didn't have the stress that we have and all of the performance things that we have. He didn't know the pressures of rush hour traffic and he hadn't been through the things I've been through. Jesus didn't have to multitask. And, you know, everybody's trying to present it as if our situation is unique. Here's a little rabbit trail, but I think this will bless some of you. You know what, we uh, talk about that kids today are suffering temptations and they're just under pressures that we never knew about and it's so much harder on kids growing up today than it's ever been. That's a lie. Again, the scripture says there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. If you can say, that, well, the children today have new pressures, new problems that we don't know about and therefore you excuse their behavior and in a sense condone and verify what they're doing. That's unscriptural. 
All Satan does is take the same stuff, put it in a different package, a different wrapper, a different bow, and says it's brand new and everybody buys into it because it looks a little bit different. But it's not so. Kids are not under bit more pressure today. The pressures that they have are all self-imposed. Thank you for that thunderous silence. I know people think, well, this isn't true. It is true. It's what the Bible teaches. You know the reason that there's increased pressure today is because there's a vacuum on the inside. When I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher took a metal gas can, a one-gallon gas can, and put it on a Brunson burner and heated it until the thing was hot and then screwed the lid on it real quick and set it on his desk. And I was sitting on the front row, just right in front of that desk, And then he went on with the rest of the day's activities. And you know what happened? As that can cooled off, cold air occupies less volume than hot air. And as the air contracted on the inside of there, there was a vacuum formed on the inside of that can. And I sat there and looked at it and nobody touched it. And yet that thing began to pop and crack and bent over just like somebody had taken a sledgehammer to it. And the thing fell off on the floor, just crushed by normal atmospheric pressure. There wasn't increased pressure on the outside. It was a vacuum on the inside that made just normal pressure crush it. And this is what's happening to people today. There's nothing any different going on with us today than has happened to anybody in the history of the world. But the problem is we've got a vacuum on the inside, a vacuum of values, a vacuum of faith, a vacuum of trusting God. And because of it, Somebody pulling in front of you in traffic is enough for you to pull a gun out and have road rage and do something. It's not that anything different is happening. It's that there's a vacuum on the inside of people. Kids today don't have it tougher than anybody else, but their values are so screwed up that having the latest shoes that blink when you walk is such a big deal that I haven't got the latest shoes. I don't have the designer jeans. I'm not like everybody else. Just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and realize that who cares if you've got all of this kind of stuff. If our values were on proper things instead of improper things, it wouldn't be such a pressure. You know what pressure is, is a friend of mine in England was four years old when they had the German Blitzrig and they bombed every night and they took all of the young people in the city of London and took them and put them on farms out in the rural area and for four years he lived with a hundred other kids in a field without any parents. Didn't know if his parents were alive and from the time he was four until he was eight he grew up in a field while bombs were dropping every night. Now that's pressure. But not having the latest logo or not being able to get your ear pierced is not pressure. Unless you've got a vacuum on the inside and you think that those things are important. I tell you what, we have bought into lies. And if you buy the lies that, oh, it's tougher and, oh, if I don't get my tongue pierced, I'm not going to live. I can't survive. Well, then... Sure, that's, it's pressure of your own making. Anyway, there is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. And you need to quit thinking that you're unique. Nobody's known the troubles I feel. We even write songs about it. Nobody knows my sorrow. Man, it's wrong. Jesus was tempted in all points like as you are. And yet, Jesus was never tempted with dope. Jesus was never tempted with rush hour traffic. Jesus was never tempted with watching X-rated movies. Some people think, well, then he wasn't tempted in all points like as a well. Yes, he is. Because, see, we're just looking at the, the top of the uh, plant here, but the root, it's all exactly the same. Jesus was tempted exactly the way you were tempted, and yet he overcame all of it. And I want to show you some things about the temptation of Jesus. That if you can understand this this morning, this is going to make a big difference in your life. If you'll turn over to Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus is recorded in Matthew chapter 4 and also in uh, Luke chapter 4. It's mentioned in uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. 
but it's really recorded in Mark chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4. Let's just turn over and read, first of all, in uh, Matthew chapter 4. In verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward a hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the devil taketh him up into, a whole, un, into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Now here's a point that you need to recognize. Matthew and Mark, I mean Matthew and Luke record the temptations in a different order. The first temptation is the same about turning the stone into bread. But in uh, Matthew's account, the next one is when he goes to the pinnacle of the temple and the devil uh, says, throw yourself down for the angels will take charge over you. In Luke's account, it gives a different order where he takes him up into a high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and tempts him to fall down and worship him and I'll just give you control of all of this. I believe There's no contradiction here. What this is doing, God is trying to take away any attempt by people to put these temptations in a specific order and show a, uh, you know, a progression of things. He's, he put them out of order, led these guys to record them in different orders so that you couldn't make a doctrine out of it. That's the reason you need to compare Scripture with Scripture and look at the different gospel writers' accounts so that you can get the full understanding of this. So in Matthew's account, the second thing he records is going up to the pinnacle of the temple and the devil tempted him to throw himself down and misquoted he took away part of Psalms 91 and added another phrase to it. We'll get into that later, probably tomorrow morning. But then the third temptation is where he took him up uh, to the mountains and showed him all of the kingdoms of this world. Here's one of the things that I want to show you is that if you look at these two accounts, you'll find out that two out of the three temptations, Satan began with this. If you be the Son of God... And you know, a lot of people have missed this, but the real temptation of Jesus was not to turn a stone into bread. I don't believe there was anything wrong with turning a stone into bread. It wasn't sin to turn a stone into bread. But you know what the real temptation was? Satan said, if you be the Son of God, do this to prove it. Jesus had never performed a miracle. This is prior to the time that he turned the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. He had never performed a miracle. There was no visible, physical proof that he was God. And therefore, Satan was coming and trying to get Jesus to doubt that he was really the Messiah. If you're the Son of God, do something to prove it. Now, some of you are looking at me like, well, Jesus was God. He couldn't have doubted. If Jesus couldn't have doubted that he was the Son of God, then this reduces the temptation to where it, it was just a formality. It was all rhetorical questions. There was no point in it. If Satan was only expressing his only doubts when he said, if you be the Son of God, do this, then that would just reduce, reduce this to where it was meaningless. Jesus had to accept by faith that He was the Son of God. And you know, many people haven't thought about this, but it's important that you do because this really is the root of your temptation too. Knowing who you are. If you knew who you were and what God had done in your life, if you had changed your identity to where you saw yourself as a new creature, you know what? It would just kill temptation in your life. There's many of you that say, friend, you know, here, I hate to even bring this up, but it's become such a fad today that some people are just consumed with their weight and losing weight. I bet you I've had five people ask me this week already, last night, to pray with them about their weight, that they can lose weight. You know, in the absence of hating murdering children, you know, in, uh, abortion, in the absence of true values, there's just something in you that you got to hate something. And you've got to have a cause about something. And if you don't care about the true values, then sugar becomes the evil. And we are obsessed with weight and trying to lose weight and do all of these kind of things. But anyway, did you know, 
it really comes back. There's some of you that try and resist, but you, you believe in your heart that, you know what, you're just a fatty. You're a fat soul. And uh, so you only resist for a portion of time, for a brief time. And then after a while, well, after all, I'm just a slob anyway. And you go ahead and do it because that's the way that you see yourself. I remember when Kenneth Hagin got born again, he said this, that he used, if he ever had a natural talent, it was the ability to pick a lock. He said there he never saw a lock that he couldn't pick. And all of the guys that he ran around with, anytime they wanted to break in and steal something, they always came to Kenneth Hagin and asked him to break the lock because he could pick any lock that was ever made. And he got born again one night. And the next day, his friends came and said, we want you to go pick this lock. We're going to rob this store. And he says, I can't do it. And they said, why not? And he says, because I'm a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And he saw himself differently. He didn't see himself as a crook anymore. But you know what? There's a lot of people that when they accept the Lord, all they're doing is believing that they won't go to hell, but they don't see that they're a changed person. If you saw yourself changed, you wouldn't act the way that you do. You know, the reason a pig acts the way they do is because that is the way they see themselves. That is who they are. And you could clean them up and put perfume on them and put a bowl on them. And you know what? They're still going to go lay in the mud because that's the way they see themselves. And there's some of us that we are trying to live by a godly standard, but you see yourself a failure. You see yourself a loser. You see yourself fat. You see yourself an alcoholic. You see yourself a drug addict. You see yourself a smoker. That's the image that you have. And it's ultimately you are going to fulfill the image that you have on the inside. Whether you realize it or not, recognizing your identity, being tested by Satan, is really all about who do you see yourself to be. Is the reason you're failing to lay hands on the sick and see them recover? Is it because you don't believe that God does those things today? I bet you with every person here, you believe in that or you wouldn't be at my meeting on a Friday morning. You believe that God does miracles. So all of you believe that that's true. And you know the scripture that if you are a believer, these signs shall follow them that believe you shall lay hands on the sick. And you know that it's available and you may even pray for it. But you know why most people in here don't go pray for the sick and you don't lay hands on them and command healing? Because you see yourself as just human. You don't see yourself invested with the power of God. You don't know who you are in Christ. You see yourself still as an old person that will even sing songs about, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. It's a sorry song. <laughs> I'm not only human. I'm not just a man. When I lay hands on somebody, it's not just me. God Almighty lives on the inside of me. I am God-possessed. I have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of me. And I am not just a human. But if I was to ask you to come forward and pray for somebody, I can guarantee you the reason most of you would feel fear or reservation is because you identity, you see yourself as just an old sinner saved by grace instead of being an old sinner that got saved by grace. And now you're a brand new person in Christ with the righteousness and the power of God. Most of you don't see yourself correctly. This really comes down to the root of all temptation. You could not, you cannot commit adultery if you don't see yourself as an adulterer. If you say, Hey, I'm, I'm better than this. God has saved me. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't have to live this way. I'm not going to go out and smoke those cancer sticks because you see yourself as better than that. If you are still bound by those things, it's because you don't see yourself better than that. You don't know your true identity. Jesus had to come to a place where he accepted that he was God. And I know that this is going to stretch some of y'all's brains, but I hate, you know, people don't want to come to church and think. They want to be entertained. They want you to wave your hand over them and they just instantly get set free. But I'm going to challenge you to think here, amen. You know, when Jesus was born, he did not come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. Jesus had to learn to talk. Jesus had to learn to walk. Jesus had to start crawling. 
Jesus had to learn how to feed himself. I'm sure the first time he ever tried, he probably got food all over himself just the same way as anybody else did. Jesus had to learn to control his bowels. There was a time that he soiled himself, same as any one of us did. Jesus, because he's Jesus, people just think that somehow or another he wasn't like us, and yet the Bible says he was just like us. He was tempted in all points like as we are. Jesus, there came a point in his life where he had to accept with his physical mind that he was God. Now, I believe that in his spirit, he was Christ. He was Lord at his birth. He was God and man. He was God. The angels worshiped him and said, Jesus, Lord. And so he was Lord at his birth. As a little tiny baby, he was almighty God, but he was also a little tiny baby that Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus had to increase in wisdom, in knowledge. Jesus had to learn the word of God. He had to educate his brain the same as you and I do. So in his spirit, I'm sure that his spirit was bearing witness that he was God Almighty, but there came a time that his brain had to accept the fact that I am God in the flesh. Boy, if you haven't spent any time meditating on that, that is mind-boggling. Jesus, it was by faith that he accepted that he was God. And you know what? It was hard, I'm sure, because he was physical. He got tired the same as everybody else. He felt heat and cold the same as everybody else. He got hungry. And you know what? Looking at himself in the natural, everything in the natural was saying, you're just a man. But in his heart, and his father was speaking to him and saying, you are the Christ. You are my son. You are sinless. You are pure. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph helped him because there had to be a time that Mary sat him down and said, Jesus, I've got something to tell you. Joseph is not your father. You didn't have a physical father. I had a virgin birth. And you know, the reason I asked Charlie and Jill to sing that song is because Joseph and Mary had to accept this stuff by faith. Can you imagine the leap of faith for her to believe that this was really God? You know, sometimes when people read the Bible, they don't read it like it's real. I've had the Lord appear to me in miraculous manifestations. The Lord touched my life March the 23rd, 1968, and for four and a half months, I was gone someplace in the presence of God. I mean, I was still here on this earth, but I wasn't here. And I had a miraculous encounter with God. But you know what? I look back at that. I had a student ask me this last week, have you ever doubted, have you ever had to deal with doubt that that miraculous encounter with the Lord March the 23rd, 1968 was really God? And I said, every day. Some people, if it was really God, you'd just know it. You know what, that's been, what's that, 36, 37 years? You know, over 37 years, there's a lot of things that could change. I could just write that off. Every other person that was present that night has written it off as it was just emotion. It wasn't real. My very best friend who was there has even renounced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, doesn't even operate in it anymore. And it doesn't mean a thing to them. You know what? It's taken faith for me to say, I know that was God that touched my life. I refuse to back off of this. You know, Joseph didn't have the Lord appear to him visibly. He had the Lord come to him in a dream. Now stop and think about that. How many dreams have you had where you felt like it was God speaking to you? And maybe when you woke up, it was impressing you. But a week later, two weeks later... A year later, you know what? It's easy for you to rationalize that and say, well, it was a dream. How many weird dreams have I had? What made this dream special? Here's a little aside, but you know, I believe that Mary never told Joseph what had happened to her until Joseph had had the angel appear to her. And the reason I believe that is because in the scripture it says she was found with child after she had gone with Elizabeth for three months. And when she came back, she was found with child. That means that the child was showing. 
And I believe it's to Mary's credit that she didn't tell him all of these things because if she had and then he had a dream, it would have been easy for him to think those thoughts were planted there by what Mary said. And he, But because I don't believe Mary told him, then when he had the dream, it had to be God. Nobody else could have possibly even dreamed that it was a virgin birth. And when he went and shared with Mary, she said, that's exactly what God's done. It took faith for them. Man, Joseph was a powerful man of faith to believe that dream. It wasn't a visible thing that he saw. He wasn't awake. He dreamed it. And yet he believed that that was God. They had to take these steps by faith. Jesus had to take a step by faith to believe that he was God. And when he was anointed by John the Baptist, here was an audible voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And a visible shape of a dove descended upon him. And immediately he went into the wilderness and Satan came and started saying, If you are the Son of God... Do this to prove it. You know what he was trying to get Jesus to do? He was trying to get Jesus to get out of the word that his father had just said about him. He was trying to get Jesus to get out of faith and trusting the word of his father and put faith in the fact that this stone turned into bread as the proof that he's the Messiah. See, the same thing happens to us. God's word says you are a brand new creature. The same works that I do shall you do also and even greater works than these. And God's word says that we have the word, but is there any physical proof? Do you have a tingling in your hands? Do you have fire in your hands? Do you have an anointing going up and down your spine that you can feel? And most of us are tempted to not really believe what God says about us because we don't have any physical manifestation. If you cut me, I bleed just like anybody else. It looks like I'm nothing but human. How dare me think that I'm God-possessed and that God's done something special in my life. And you're in a constant battle between are you just going to go by your senses and are you going to limit yourself to being just physical like everybody else or do you believe that you're a changed person? That God Almighty lives on the inside of you. That the works that Jesus did shall you do also and even greater works than these shall you do. Brothers and sisters, whether you're relating to what I'm saying or not, every person in here is in this exact same struggle that Jesus was in. Jesus had a revelation in his heart. He had heard a word from God and God had told him that he was the Christ, the Messiah. And here was Satan hitting at the very root of everything. Do you really believe what God has said about you? If you do, do something to prove it. Prove to me. Do something to manifest instead of just standing on the Word of God. Amen. Boy, y'all are looking at me a little strange. I'm praying that you're relating to this, but you know what? Whether you are or not, I can promise you that this every person in here goes through this exact same thing. You know more about what God has said about you and what God says you can do. You have revelation of that you are supposed to be a changed person, that you have the same power on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead. And that if you are a true believer, these signs will follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick. You shall speak with new tongues. You shall cast out devils. You'll do all of these things. Most of you know that. But because you haven't seen a blinding flash of light, a physical manifestation, you aren't believing the Word of God. You're waiting on some sign to prove it. Something outside of the Word of God. That's exactly what the temptation of Satan was. It was subtle. The temptation wasn't really to turn a stone into bread. The temptation was, don't just trust what your father said. Don't trust what you believe in your heart. Do something that you can put your faith in it. Because this stone turns into bread, that'll prove you're the son of God. Let's do something physical to manifest it. That was the real temptation of Jesus. And you know what? Every one of us go through that exact same temptation. And the reason that Jesus was able to overcome that was because he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew who he was. He was standing in faith. 
Immediately after these temptations, he walked down into his hometown of Nazareth. He opened up the scriptures. It was delivered unto him. He turned over to Isaiah chapter 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Those were scriptures that everybody knew was referring to the Messiah. And he closed the book and went and sat down. And it says every eye in the place was on him like wondering. What is he saying? Is he claiming that he is the Christ? This is Joseph. I mean, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son. What is he saying? And to remove their doubts, he stood up and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He proclaimed himself as the Messiah. He knew who he was. And you know, a friend of mine, Dave Duell, I've never read this anywhere else, but he said he studied it. And then in the synagogue, there was a chair that was reserved for the Messiah when the Messiah came. And they believed that when the Messiah came, he would come and sit in that chair. And when it says that he closed the book and went and sat in the chair, that it was referring that he went and sat in the Messiah's chair. And everybody was looking at him and he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled. Jesus knew who he was. And towards the end of his ministry, he was praying out loud in public and he said, Father, glorify your name. And all of a sudden, an audible voice came out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And some people heard it and thought it was an angel. Other people thought it was thunder. Did you know it is amazing if you have a tendency, a propensity to disbelieve, you could disbelieve if an audible voice came out of heaven today and spoke to you. You'll find out some way of thinking, oh, that was thunder. That couldn't have been a voice. People who don't believe wouldn't believe if they saw a person raised from the dead is what Jesus, or the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There was people that heard the audible voice of God and didn't believe it. There's people that saw Lazarus raised from the dead and they didn't believe it. And they went and consulted how they could kill Jesus and Lazarus. It's amazing. We have a culture of unbelief that people are just going to disbelieve regardless. But when this audible voice came, Jesus said, This voice didn't come for my sake, but for your sake so that you might believe. Jesus didn't need it. Jesus was saying, I don't need an audible voice. I already knew that God, I knew what the answer to that prayer was. God had spoken to him in his heart. Brothers and sisters, it's amazing, but we think we're faith people, but we are baptized in unbelief. We are so unbelieving. There's not a person in here that doesn't have greater revelation from God and words that God has spoken to you that you haven't acted on yet because... You just haven't seen the physical proof. You haven't totally convinced yourself. You know what God says, but you're waiting on five visions, three goosebumps to confirm it instead of just believing the Word of God. You know, the real temptation was, was Jesus going to stand on what what His Father had said to Him? Was He going to go by the witness He had in His heart or was He going to start going by carnal things? Was he going to do something to try and prove and manifest who he is? It was an identity issue. Satan was tempting in his very core. Do you really believe that you are who your father has revealed? And you know what? It's the same thing with us. It's basically an identity issue. Do you really believe that you are now the son or the daughter of God, that you've been born again, that you've been changed? Do you believe that God Almighty lives on the inside of you and that you can go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead? Do you really believe that God Almighty loves you or are you going to go by what your wife or your husband is thinking about you and the criticisms that they give? Do you really believe you can do all things or are you still bound by what your parents said about you that you'll never amount to anything? It's all about identity. It's all a matter of do you really believe what God is saying about you? Jesus suffered that same temptation. Jesus overcame that not by doing something physical and looking to a physical thing to verify and prove. This proves I'm a success. This proves I can do it. But you know what he did? He went back to the word of God. He went back to the word that God gave him and he based his life on the word of God and he operated by faith saying, this is who I am and I refuse to doubt it. 
I refuse to fall prey to anything. I refuse to take my faith away from what God has said about me and put it on some stone being turned into bread, something physical. He stood on the revelation that God had given him. And brothers and sisters, God has spoken to every last one of you. And yet many of you just aren't believing. We're operating in doubt. We can explain it away a million different ways and say, I just haven't had the advantages. I've, it's different for me. These pressures are stronger today. My temptation is unique. It's not common. Everything's different. But the bottom line is it's the same thing that Jesus went through. And your answer is the same answer that, is, that brought Jesus through. You're just going to have to start believing what God has said about you and get to a place to where God's Word dominates you more than what you feel, than what everybody else is saying. You need to quit saying, I'm only human. I'm just a man or a woman. You aren't only human. You are walled. One third of you is wall to wall Holy Ghost. One third of you is infused with the power of God. You're going to have to start seeing yourself the way that God sees you. And brothers and sisters, there's many of you that have had God speak to you in supernatural ways and you aren't responding appropriately to it. It's just doubt. It's unbelief. You know, I've had the Lord do some things in my life, and I hate to even start mentioning this, lest you think I'm special and you're different and therefore it won't work, but every one of you have had God reveal Himself to you the same way. You just hadn't responded to it properly. You know, there was a friend of mine in Chicago that one time we were visiting about different things, and this guy grew up in poverty. His parents were alcoholics. He uh, would go weeks without eating. He had malnutrition. The government welfare people would come in and and clothe him. And he'd go to school until his clothes wore out. And then once those wore out or got dirty, his parents were alcoholics. They never washed it. And he just ran around in his underwear all of the time, stayed at home. And anyway, he was because of this, he got on dope. He was in a mental hospital, had his brain fried, couldn't remember anything about his life. He had been high on dope all during his teenage years. And anyway, as he was talking about all of this and telling me his testimony, then he asked me about my testimony. And I got born again when I was eight years old, the very first time God ever convicted me. I've sought God my whole life. And I was talking about how that when I was a little kid, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, I'd lay out in the backyard and look at the stars. And the Bible says that the heavens declare the handiwork of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Uh... Day unto day, utter his speech, all of these things. I'd lay out in the backyard and I'd just pray and say, God, what is the purpose for my life? What are you going to do? And God was speaking to me when I was, even before I was born again, five and six years old, I'd lay out in the backyard and just know that God had a purpose, that there was some purpose that God was speaking to me. And as I was giving him my testimony, I felt embarrassed. I felt like it's not fair. It seems like I've been so blessed compared to you. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was apologizing for my testimony. And you know, this guy stopped me and he says, when I was a little kid, I used to do the exact same thing. I'd lay in the backyard and think about it. And he says, I had those same thoughts. The only difference is I just rejected them and thought, oh, this is just me. And you know what? I've come to realize that every last one of you at some time or another, God has been speaking to you. There's no person that's going to stand in front of God and say, God, it's not fair. You didn't speak to me the way you spoke to Andrew Womack. God's spoken to every last one of you. The difference is you didn't mix it with faith. You didn't respond. You allowed yourself to be sidetracked. But God has touched every one of you. There's times that He's been speaking to you and your little homing device was going off and drawing you towards God and you just rejected it for whatever the reasons were. But God has spoken to every person in here. And I remember right after He called me to minister, I was an introvert and couldn't look at a person in the face. I could not talk to a stranger. I was so introverted and God called me to minister. How in the world could that ever happen? And I was still in the Baptist church and they had a layman's Sunday coming up. And because I had said that I was called to the ministry, they asked me to speak in front of hundreds of people and I was about to die of a heart attack. I wanted to do it, but I was afraid to do it. And during this period of time, I was studying the Word 16 hours a day reading. And anyway, I went to bed one night. And I'm the kind that, man, the moment you lay down, boom, I'm gone. And I laid down and I couldn't go to sleep. I laid there for a long time. Finally, we just had a one-bedroom apartment. 
And I got up and went into the living room and I mean, the presence of God was so real. I got to saying, God, what's happening? What are you doing? And the Lord spoke to me and gave me the same choice that he gave Solomon. He says, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And I said, I want the ability to speak in front of people and to change people through the words that I say. And he spoke to me out of Jeremiah 5, 14. He says, because you speak this word, I'll make my word in your mouth fire and the people would and it shall devour them. And boom, like that, I was changed. And I was set free. And coming from an introvert, I got up in front of that Baptist church and preached two and a half hours. They had to pull the rug out from under me. And you know what? Some of me, oh, I wish God would do that for me. You know what? I, I look back at that. I didn't hear an audible voice. It was all by faith. I just perceived these things. Do you know I have to receive that by faith? The Lord spoke to me, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, before you came forth out of your mother's belly, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. And then Jeremiah said, oh, Lord God, I'm a child. I can't speak. And the Lord said, don't ever say you're a child. You will speak. You will go to all of the people that I have given you. You know what? God spoke that scripture to me as I was reading it. And somebody might think, well, that was just you thinking it. You didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't. But you know what? I believe it. And because I believe that's God speaking to me, my life has changed. Every last one of you have had God speak to you through things like that and you discount it and think, well, that's just me. I wish this had happened or whatever. But you know, the truth is God speaks to you in such a still, small voice that if you want to, you can discount it and think that it's you and think that it's circumstances. But God is speaking to every one of you in here. God has told you things about who you are and what you can do. And if you're struggling and aren't seeing the power of God in your life, it's because you are doubting the things that God has said about who you are. You're doubting your identity. You don't see yourself in Christ. And if Jesus would have had that same mindset, he would have failed these temptations. Because that's what the temptation is really all about. Is who are you? Are you really who God said you are? Can you really do what God says you can do? Do you believe that at your core level? Are you willing to just take the word of God that says these things? Or are you waiting on proof? Are you trying to do something? You know, this is one of the things I see in our students in the school. There are some of them that really have a firm belief that God has changed them. And you can tell that they believe it. There's others that are wannabes. And they're up and they're shouting and preaching and doing things, trying to convince themselves and others that they can do it. And one rings true and the other one's like sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. There's a lot of people that are trying to convince themselves that they're anointed by God. And so they scream and shout and froth at the mouth and roll in the floor or do whatever to try and prove that the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost is on them. Yet the scripture says, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Brothers and sisters, we are going through the exact same temptation. Jesus was tempted exactly the way we were. He wasn't tempted with rush hour traffic and X-rated movies, but he was tempted to doubt what his father said about him. He was tempted with unbelief. And that's the root of all of your sin. Just the fact that you don't believe that God is faithful, that he's really done what he said he would do. That's the temptation. And then it'll, if you don't believe that you are and that you're really changed and that you're delivered and that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, then that'll manifest itself in you going ahead and submitting to the drugs and to the alcohol and the sexual sin and the anger and the frustration and all of these other things. But those are just byproducts, manifestations of it. The root cause is that you just aren't believing what God says about you. You haven't really believed the witness of the scripture. You're in unbelief. That's temptation. Temptation is, is to doubt God. John chapter 16, I got another tape set out there, three hours of teaching on this one point about the positive ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's all built out of John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. 
And it says that when the Holy Spirit has come, He'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then it specifies what sin that is. Verse 9 says, it's the sin of not believing on me. The Lord's not going to convict you over adultery as such. Adultery is just a manifestation of you not believing on Jesus and not trusting Jesus. It's not that He's going to convict you over smoking and lying and stealing. All of those things have their root in the fact that you aren't believing on Jesus. You know what's wrong with lying? See, here's where the church is missing so many things. They're trying to convince people, don't lie, don't steal because of this and this and this. Don't commit sexual sin because there's sexually transmitted diseases and you could get AIDS and you could get some sexually transmitted disease. And they'll tell you about the physical ramifications. Well, what would happen if somebody came up with a cure for AIDS and all sexually transmitted diseases? Would that mean that now it's okay to commit sin? Well, the way that the church preaches lots of times, that would make it okay because they're using the physical consequences as telling people you shouldn't do this. But you know what the real root that's wrong with sexually, uh, sexual immorality? It's the fact that God made them Adam and Eve. That's what God said. And here people come along and say, no, it's Adam and Steve. You're violating what God says. You are, you are denying the witness that God has placed on the inside of you when you operate in homosexuality. It's a slap in the face of God. And it doesn't matter if they eliminate the physical consequences of homosexuality. It's wrong because it's denying what God is speaking in your heart. You are going against your own nature. God gave you one mate and told you to be satisfied. He even told David when David committed sin, he says, David... You know, most people would think it's terrible what David did because look what happened to Bathsheba. Look what happened to the child that died because of his sin. Look at Uriah the Hittite who was murdered because of what David did. And Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba, was the one who counseled all of these women for... uh, Who was it? The son that rebelled? Absalom. To go in and commit adultery with all of his father's wives. That was Ahithophel just happened to be the grandfather of Bathsheba. His sin hurt a lot of people. And most people would talk about all these things. But when God reproved David, you know what he said in 2 Samuel chapter 12? He says, David, how could you have done this and have despised me? I've treated you so good. I gave you your your master's house and your master's wives. And if that would have been too little, I'd have even given you more wives. God's the one who said that God intended for one man, for one woman. And yet, he says, David, if, if the 13 wives you had weren't enough, I'd have given you more if you'd have asked me. You know what really upset God was the fact that David was now king and he could do whatever he wanted to. And instead of going through God and trusting God and believing God to promote him, he took matters into his own hand because he could do it. And he says, David, you have despised me. You know what David's real sin was? The fact that he was not God conscious. He wasn't trusting God anymore. He was doing his own thing because now he could do anything he wanted to. He was the king. That was the root of that sin. If you just keep peeling back the layers, that's the root of everybody's sin. Is the fact that you're doing it your own way. You aren't trusting God. You aren't believing God. If you're failing in any area of your life, it's because God's not your source. It's because you're doing something else. Amen or oh me. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is it. If you, if you start looking at your temptation, at your life, and at the things that you're, being, you're struggling with, and if you look at it as, God, it's really not about whether I lose weight or not. It's really not about whether or not I get upset in traffic. It's really not about this. It's really not about that. You know the problem is, I haven't got my mind stayed on you. I'm not trusting you. I don't believe what you've said about me. I've got a vacuum on the inside and that's the reason just these normal pressures of life are crushing me is because I don't have a right relationship with you. God, forgive me. And if you come back and start just trusting God and believing God, you'll find out that it'll eliminate the pressure. You'll be able to overcome the temptation. The Christian life is all about relationship with God, not rules and regulations. And the reason we're failing is because we don't know Our Father's love. 
You know, I used to be an introvert, like I told you. And because of that, I had so many problems in my life. But once I experienced this God's love coming to me and I got secure in God's love, you know, I've reached a place now to where I still don't enjoy it if people get mad at me. If some of you hate me and, and tell me that you don't like me, I've had people spit in my face and do all kinds of things. I've had people threaten to kill me. I've had people uh, do all kinds. I've been kidnapped. I've had lots of things happen to me for the gospel. And you know, I don't enjoy that stuff, but I can tell you that if you come spit in my face, it's not going to bother me. You know why? Because God loves me. And compared to God, you're a zero with the rim knocked off. It's not that I don't care about you, but compared to God, you're nobody. And because I've got God's love on the inside of me, I'm now able to handle it when other people don't like me. If you're one of these that falls apart like a $2 suitcase because somebody didn't talk to you, it's because you don't know how much God loves you. You aren't secure in the love of God. The reason it bothers you that you're going through all of these things is because you're codependent upon other people's approval and you've got to have their acceptance to be able to exist. It all comes back to the fact that you just don't have the right relationship with God. I don't care what you're going through. If I, had, if I could talk to you personally and sit down with you long enough, I could just keep tracing it back to the source and somewhere it's because you aren't believing on God. You aren't trusting in God. You don't have a revelation and you aren't believing what he said about you. And if you would get content in that, you wouldn't lust for all these other things and you wouldn't be bothered by the rejection of other people and all of this other stuff. Everything would straighten out. Oh, that's good news. And if you can understand that, it'll help you to overcome temptation. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just love you and we thank you, Father, that these things are true. Thank you that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. And Father, he wasn't tempted with some of the physical, natural things that we have, but he was tempted with unbelief, doubting what you say about him. And Father, I pray that you help people with this today and that they would just come to recognize that it's all about just trusting you and believing you. Going back to what you've said. Father, I know that you've spoken to some of them. Put dreams in their heart when they were little kids. And they've let reality just beat that vision out of them. And they don't believe anymore what you've said. I pray that they'd come back to a place of just mixing faith with what you've said. That Father, people here that know what you've said about them being a new person. Changed person. And yet they hadn't been believing it. I pray that you'd bring them back to that simple faith. And just trusting in that. Father, we renounce our unbelief. Our hardness of heart. Forgive us, Father, for all of the doubt and the things that we've allowed this world to overcome us. And I believe that today in this service, that the Holy Spirit is present and flowing in this place to bring people back to a place of faith. Just trusting and believing you for what you've said. And Father, I thank you. I believe that your Holy Spirit's doing that. And we receive that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.